All right, you can go ahead and grab a seat. So glad that we're able to gather together today, whether you're online, so glad that you're here, whether you're in person, you chose to be here for, oh, is it raining still, or is it nice, or who knows, give it an hour, right? But I'm really glad that we're able to gather together today. Now, I have a question for you, it's not a trick question. What is this? It's a Starbucks cup. Somebody said money. Everybody's a joker. It is a Starbucks cup. There's nothing in it. I kind of wish it was a pumpkin spice latte a little bit. But then I'd spill it on my shirt. I have to bring an extra shirt every Sunday because I spill something on my shirt all the time. That's real. That's true. This is a Starbucks cup. And when I get this in the morning, I think of two different things. First, I think, oh, sweet goodness. That's the first thing I think. But I think of something else, and it might surprise you a little bit. It kind of surprises me. It comes up often, though. It's not every time, but it's often. When I get this Starbucks cup, I think about how we live in a divided world. It's kind of weird, right? Starbucks cup reminds me of how we're not kind of unified. We're divided all the time. Here's why. Way back in 2015, it was a year, like 2015, reminding you all the last two years have feels like 30. But 2015, something happened around Christmas time with Starbucks cups. Anybody remember that? Somebody posted on Facebook, and this is a quote of, from what this guy posted on Facebook. Starbucks removed Christmas from their cups because they hate Jesus. That was an exact quote. And the guy tagged media to get more attention, gave interviews. Maybe, if you remember that, you you felt like kind of a tug of regret when you went and got Starbucks in 2015 because nobody stopped getting Starbucks, really. But Christians were losing, quote, the war on Christmas. Have you ever heard that term? And Starbucks removed Christmas and everything was bad. And people argued a lot about the issue. They argued on the news. They argued online. Some people even picketed Starbucks. I bet they got Starbucks before they picketed Starbucks. That'd be hilarious. But Starbucks even had to put out a statement that said that they indeed do not hate Christmas. And the division was kind of an odd one because it really didn't have a whole lot of merit. As a matter of fact, the previous six years before 2015, Starbucks had never put the words Merry Christmas on their cups. They didn't take anything off their cup. Their cup regularly had wintry or vague holiday language like holly jolly snow, snowman, stuff like that. Starbucks didn't remove Christmas and had never been there in the first place. Whoopsie! But when I get this cup, I'm reminded we live in a divided world, don't we? And a lot of times it's about things maybe that don't even matter as much as we act like they do. But they sure do consume a lot of our thought, a lot of our conversation, and we become more and more divided. And we become more divided even about some things that are true or not. It doesn't really matter what's true or not. We just get upset. Now, for some of us, That might be kind of the Republican-Democrat thing. And a hush goes over people. We, uh, We have trouble with that, don't we? We think kind of politics is an important thing. I actually think that it's an important thing. But this is what it sounds like when we're divided. What it sounds like. If you don't align with my political view, not only are you wrong, but you're unloving. Or you're uncaring or you're stupid, or you're naive. 
doesn't really matter which side of the aisle you're on or there are multiple aisles now. The reality is people say that all over the place. It doesn't matter even if the things that we believe are true or not in that conversation. Because once we talk about whether they're true or not, it doesn't matter because we're just divided. We're angry. We're hateful. Oh, maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's something like race relationships. How do we navigate these real-life issues like pain or racism or community or injustice? And maybe it's one of the biggest ones in my world. There's this division between my version of church and your version of church. Do you know anybody like that? And it's like, this is what church should feel like. This is what it should sound like. This is what it should look like. This is what should happen at church. And it's really not even about the Jesus stuff or the theology stuff. It's about how it should make us feel or how it should look or how we should interact with it. And we kind of get confused and we get angry and we're like, hey, you do it a certain way. And no, you're doing it wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. There are all sorts of different versions of this. Maybe you have Patrick Mahomes and you're starting him on your fantasy team and he's playing the Colts today. How dare you? There's probably somebody in my fantasy football team that's doing that. So actually, I think I, think I have Patrick Mahomes now that I think about it. Should have planned that better. But we can keep going. There are all sorts of different things that we disagree about. And life kind of seems polarized sometimes, doesn't it? And when it comes to faith, we don't always know how to navigate it. When things are kind of polarized, when when we're angry, when there's tension. And this tension makes things difficult. It makes things confusing. It makes things hurtful. And we often respond to kind of this, "I'm, I'm right, you're wrong stuff. With ignorance, like, I don't want to talk about it. Or with arrogance, I'm right, I don't need to talk about it. Or with foolishness, which is yelling at one another. Anybody else exhausted by this? I can get exhausted by this. I kind of find myself reverting back to, you know, junior high or elementary school when we're out on the playground and somebody would yell like, why can't we all just get along? You know, whatever. It kind of feels like that sometimes when we navigate life. But we live in a divided world and at times, and here's the thing, here's why we're talking about it today. I believe that Christians are often the worst culprits when it comes to this. We disagree. We fight. We get angry. And we yell. And we yell at each other, whether we believe the same thing or not. We yell at people who don't agree with us. We yell at people who don't believe like us, who don't practice their belief like us. We tear each other down under the shadow of of rightness. And hear me, truth is important. What we believe is important, but so is how we treat other people. And people who follow Jesus being divided and treating other people poorly is dangerous and it's destructive because people who follow Jesus, believers who say we should love each other, are often the first people who don't love the other person. This is difficult. This is difficult for me. Is it for you? So what's the alternative? Is it like the touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy stuff? Like, is it like, why can't we all just get along? And like, we just agree and that's the end of it? Or do we yell at each other and whoever screams the loudest is right? That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Or maybe there's a way for us to be on the same page if we follow Jesus, even if we disagree about a bunch of other stuff. Now, we're in this series and we're calling it Pursuit. 
And we're going through the book of Philippians, and we're really talking about what it looks like to pursue the things of God rather than the other things that we pursue a lot of times in our life. And last week, Reed talked about the pursuit of joy. thought he did a fantastic job. And he talked about how we're responsible for our actions and our attitudes, no matter the circumstances that we're in. So check that out if you missed last week. And today we're talking about a different kind of pursuit, the pursuit of unity. And we're going to spend our time in... Philippians chapter 2. Now to remind you, Philippians is a letter written by this guy named Paul to a church. And he's reminding people who go to this church what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to interact with other people who follow Jesus. And check this out. In Philippians 2, we're going to start in in verse 1. Check this out. This is what it says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? How would you answer those questions? Paul wants you to answer these questions in a very specific way. So, is there encouragement? Any comfort? Any fellowship? Are your hearts tender? Yes is the right answer. This isn't just like a rhetorical question with no answer. The answer is yes. There are. All of these things are good. So why did Paul bring this up? Now, have you ever started a conversation with a reminder. This is what it sounds like. Hey, you know I love you, right? What, what happens after the reminder? And here's what I'd like for you to do, right? Hey, honey, I love you so much. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're fantastic. You're the love of my life also. Could you pick up the kids because I don't want to or whatever, right? We do this. We kind of think about this all the time. We're like, okay, how do I butter up to get what I want? And I think that Paul is kind of doing a little bit of that. He's saying, no, I want to start with the reminder. I want to start to make sure you understand the motivation of what's following this. Do you want encouragement? Do you want to belong? Do you want comfort? Do you want the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you want your heart to be tender? Do you want compassion in your life? I think we'd say, yeah, for the most part, yeah, I I, I think so. Well, he's saying, well, you have those things because of Jesus. So I just want to remind you. And then he moves on to verse two. This is what he says. He says, then make me truly happy by what? Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. So here's what Paul is saying. Jesus brings people together. That's what he's saying. Jesus should unify us. Jesus should help us love one another. And what Paul is writing here are three great definitions of unity. Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Here's what I think of when I read this. Have you ever heard about somebody who's just really difficult to deal with behind the scenes? You know, like an athlete or a politician, or a church leader, or like an actor or something, that you find out all this stuff in the news later. You know, the type of the person who's on this team, and they're all about themselves, and they try to impress, or they care more about how they get paid, or how they're viewed, or how much playing time they get. They could care less if they help the team. They could sometimes even care less if the team wins. They just care about themselves. Now, if we have Jesus, we should be on the same team working for the same purpose. So what's the purpose? Loving God and loving others. And the cool thing is, I think Paul is saying, hey, look, 
You should be unified. We should be doing this together. Unity is actually better for us as individuals. But Paul is saying, okay, you know all these good things about following Jesus, right? You know where they come from, right? Well, then you should be unified. And then he goes on and he explains what it means. And in two verses, he lays out a really simple but a really profound way to talk about unity. So check this out. This is verses three and four. Here's what he says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. That's kind of what he's saying. And when I read this for the first time this past week, kind of getting ready for today, I had a little bit of like, Paul, get out of my business, man. Don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm okay with the, hey, are you comfort? Hey, even the be unified. But then he gets into this. This doesn't seem to connect. This doesn't seem to be the same thing. So what's Paul trying to say? This is what I think he's trying to say. Pursue unity. How? Through humility. Maybe in a way that you don't expect. Because unity is a great thing to pursue. I don't know very many people who are like, we shouldn't be unified. Like that seems like a rah, rah, yeah, let's do it thing. But we don't really think about how to pursue it. And if you follow Jesus, I think we have this example that Paul puts forward of what it means to pursue humility. What it looks like for unity to be a part of our lives. But it's not maybe in the way that you think. Because I think sometimes when I'm thinking about getting people to agree or being unified, we think, well, who can debate the best? We even like share those clips and stuff, right? Like this person made the point the best, and I want you to listen to this person who made the point the best. Or we say, everybody needs to just get along, leave us alone, it's all good, everybody just love one another, which I don't know if that holds a whole lot of water either. Paul is saying it's neither one of those things. It's through humility. So when we're talking about unity and humility, let's define a few things. Here's what I mean. When I say unity, here's what I mean. Unity is when God brings people together into one family because of faith in Jesus. Have you ever interacted in your life with somebody who said, well, they're my brother or they're my sister in Christ? Have you ever heard that? If you don't go to church a lot, you, maybe you weren't raised in church, that's a weird thing to say. It's like, no, they're not. But the reality is, if we all follow Jesus, we're all part of the same thing. We're all part of his family, so to speak. And the faith in Jesus part is the foundation to unity. Because notice what we're not saying. We didn't go because they believe all of these different things. We didn't talk about the type of person That is a part of the family of God. Because unity should transcend what we look like, what we sound like, where we come from, where where we're going. It transcends all of the things that we've done. It even transcends a lot of or all of our opinions except one. It comes in faith in Jesus and that's it. That's what Paul is saying. This is where it starts. This is where your relationship with other people starts. It should include all races. It should include all cultures. It should include all languages. The only foundation is faith in Jesus. And there's even a definition of unity earlier in the book of Philippians. Check this out. This is the end of verse 27 in chapter 1. You are standing together with what? One spirit and one purpose. That's unity. Fighting together 
for the faith, which is the good news, which is Jesus is really what he's talking about there. How often do we celebrate, do we talk about, do we argue about, do we highlight the ways that we're different? And being different is not a bad thing. I think God created us to be different. But where do we go to first? We go to ways that we're different. Sometimes even in silly ways that don't really matter, like... You like football better than basketball or whatever. Here recently, my daughter, Eliza, just a couple of days ago said, Hey, Daddy, what's your, what's your favorite sport except for football and except for baseball? And I said, Well, basketball. And she's like, Well, except, except for basketball. Because she just wanted me to say volleyball because that's what she plays. That's really what she was looking for in this conversation. I mean, we all have all sorts of opinions that don't matter. Like, how do you like your, your steak done? You know, do you like it medium rare or incorrectly? Like, how do you, how do you like your, your steak to be done? But when it comes to things of faith, when it comes to church, when it comes to the way that we interact with Jesus, we've developed what I like to call a yeah, but mentality. Do you have a yeah, but mentality? Yeah, they believe in Jesus, but... They don't behave like I would. Yeah, they believe in Jesus, but they don't dress like I would. Yeah, they believe in Jesus, but do you see the way that they treat their family? Or do you see what they do when they're at work? Or do you hear the words that they say? And that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that all of those things are right or wrong. But what we do is we put the yeah, but before anything else. And we go, yeah, but... And that's dismissive, and it can be distracting, and it can be damaging to the unity that we're talking about. One spirit and one purpose is how Paul describes it. And I was thinking that kind of sounds like Friday Night Lights. Anybody like Friday Night Lights? It's like clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, one spirit, one purpose, go Jesus! You know, like that type of thing. But it's not flippant like that. Paul is saying unity is not looking the other way when somebody does something wrong. That's not what he's saying. Unity is not saying that, well, we just have to accept everybody and tolerate everything. That's not what he's saying. It's not towing the party line, even though we don't agree. That's not what he's saying. He's saying unity means our main focus is Jesus, full stop. That's what Paul is saying. But the unity we're talking about isn't based on circumstances, or what we think, or what we feel. It's deeper. It's on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the son of God, that he died on the cross for our sin, for our mistake, that we're in this life together for the same purpose, to love God and to love others. We're unified if we follow Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross for all people, by the way, not just for the people that we like. And Paul describes these do's and don'ts when, it, when he's talking about unity. So let's dig in just for a, a few minutes into these do's and into these don'ts, kind of a couple of different versions of them. So I think this is a good a starting point. How should we be unified? Well, this is what he says. He says, don't be what? Don't be selfish. Be humble. And if I'm honest, can't get past the first three words. It's hard. Like, don't be selfish. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm out. Now, if we did a survey, hey, let's do a survey right now. Raise your hand if you're the most selfish person in the world. There's like one person who's honest. Because here's the thing. We don't think ourselves as particularly selfish, do we? I don't. I mean, I don't go around and think like I'm super, super, super selfish all the time, even if I behave like I am. 
We see selfishness in other people way before we see selfishness in ourselves. Now, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia and a bunch of other books too. I really kind of love this quote that he has about humility. This is great. Check this out. This is what it says. If anyone would like to acquire humility, it's something we can pursue. I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggest step, too, at least nothing whatever can be done before it. And this is really what kind of punches me in the gut. If you think you are not conceited, if you think you are not selfish, if you think that you don't put yourself first, it means you are very conceited indeed. Uh Uh-oh. One guy is off the hook now for the rest of the message. If you don't think you're selfish, that should give you pause. The very fact that I'm slow to think that I'm selfish should indicate that I am more selfish than I think that I am. That is a terrible sentence, but I think that you understand what I'm saying. I don't think I'm selfish, and that should give me pause. And we start early in our life. I don't think I'm selfish, but I want the last cookie because I've earned it or I deserve it. Or I don't think I'm selfish, but I expect other people to give me the benefit of the doubt way before I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Or I'm not selfish... But you're wrong, and I'm right, and I want you to say out loud that I'm right and that you're wrong. And if we do that, that should stop us in our tracks. And Paul is saying, don't don't be selfish, but do be humble. So what is that? What is humility? Here's the best definition I've come across. Some people think that this definition comes from C.S. Lewis. Other people argue a lot that It doesn't come from C.S. Lewis, which is hilarious if you think about arguing about a quote about humility. But check this out. This is what it says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And this is where I think some of us go wrong sometimes. We think someone as humble is like, oh, don't look at me. I don't matter. I can't do anything. I'm the worst. And that's not what what it's saying. It's not that you're the lowest of the low and you think that you're terrible. The definition kind of starts at the heart of what Paul is saying. It's not that we're terrible. It's that we're able to think about others. We're able to focus on Jesus. We're able to love other people first. So Paul is saying, hey, don't. Maybe don't be selfish. Maybe be humble. Here's another kind of don't do that comes in these these two verses. Check check this one out. Don't try to impress And do think of others as better. Do you know anybody in your life who's a one-upper? Do you have a one-upper in your life? You're like, I went on vacation. And they're like, my vacation was better. It was further. It was funner. It was great. And you're like, you're fun at parties. Like, golly. Like, I like wings. I'm like, pizza is better. I'm like, why are we arguing? They're both great. It's fine. It's the opposite of the Debbie Downer in your life. It's like the Ursula the one-upper. But we all have kind of this desire in us, don't we? We want people to like us. We want people to think that what we do is good, what we do is healthy, that what we do is awesome, great, cool, whatever. We want to impress. We dress to impress. We talk to impress. And deep down, when we are trying to impress other people, we're trying to get them to look at us or interact with us or think of us in a very specific way. And even to think that we're something that we're not, we'll go that far to impress. And I think that's part of what Paul is kind of peeling back on that onion. He's talking about hypocrisy. 
Don't be something that you're not. That's what he's saying. Don't act like you know when you don't. Don't act like you're perfect when you're not. Be honest. Be humble. And see others for the way that they are too. Think of the person that you like the least in the world. The person that you argue with, that you disagree with the most. You got somebody? Got somebody? Don't elbow people. That's not a good idea. Somebody that you just cannot stand. How do you think God views that person? God loves them. They're created by God, actually. They need Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. They know how to do things. They're created and gifted and unique. And yeah, there might be a whole bunch of reasons why you don't like them and valid reasons too. But instead of working so hard to put yourself first, so hard to impress, think about how impressive other people are. Because humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself, your own feelings, your own wants less. And here's the last do and don't that he, that he talks about. Don't look out only for your own interests. Do take an interest in others. Do you see how this is all basically the same thing? He says it three times over and over and over again. They're all examples of humility. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. Because he knows, maybe what we know too, what gets in the way of unity. What gets in the way of humility? We do. Just people. Just like everything else. Our pride does. So Paul helps us out. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress. Don't look out only for yourself. Do be humble. Do think of others as better than you. Maybe take a genuine interest in who they are and what they need instead of preloading your response, trying to get yourself back into the conversation. And if you do this, if you put Jesus first and you're thinking about other people, we will be more unified. And then he goes... And he gives this amazing example of what it means to be humble. Check this out. This is Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. This is right after he does this do and don't section. This is what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So when Jesus became a man, it was humbling because he was God as well. And then he took the nature of a servant, which is also humbling. But Jesus wasn't done. He humbled himself by being willing to die on the cross in the most humiliating and degrading way known to man at that time. It was this form of capital punishment that the Romans employed for foreigners and for slaves and the, excuse me, the worst of the worst. Jesus died, but not for what he has done. He was sinless and he died for others. He died for me. He died for you. And he died for the person you like the least in the world. That's the type of humility that Paul is describing. This is the type of unity that he's describing, that we would put down selfishness. We would put down what we want. We would put down how we feel. And we would humble ourselves by putting Jesus first and loving other people. And when I read something like this, I don't know if you're like me or not. When I read something like this, it feels way out of my grasp. Like, I'm not Jesus. 
It's easy for Jesus to say. And yeah, I guess. But while we won't be able to live it out as perfectly as Jesus did, giving it our best shot honors God. And the amazing thing is, when we're trying to focus on Jesus, when we put him first, he's with us. And he provides opportunities for us to grow and to pursue unity and to put others first and to think of others less and to be humble. So how do you do that? And usually in a message like this, we give, here are the, I don't know, here are the eight ways to go about your life and be humble. Well, Paul kind of did that. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. So instead of kind of a one-size-fits-all thing, I'm going to ask a question. And this question's kind of been bothering me, and I kind of hope that it bothers you a little bit too. Here's the question. Check this out. How could unity of the people of the rich impact a divided world? How could unity here change anything out there. Well, unity in the people of the ridge, I think, can show that followers of Jesus genuinely care for other people. Unity in the people of the ridge, I think, can prove that disagreement or where we don't agree doesn't matter as much as Jesus and what unifies us. Unity in the people of the ridge, I think, illustrates all sorts of ways that Jesus prompts us to be humble because you're not humble without Jesus, really. And that we're unified and able to do some things that we wouldn't be able to do without one another. That's one of the amazing things I think about this 10K challenge that we've been talking about. We can't do that on our own at all. It's literally impossible for one person to do that in a year. It's too many hours. But when we start adding people together, when we start being unified, all of a sudden something happens. And 10,000 hours of serving other people and thinking of other people first as deserving and better, not less than. And joining in what God is doing in the lives of people we love and we care about and people we don't know and people we don't like is a pretty amazing thing. So pursuing unity reminds us of who Jesus is, who our neighbor is, and who we are. It's not extravagant. It's unexpected, though, and it's difficult, and it changes things, and it's countercultural. And I believe if we pursue unity and we are humble, I truly believe that God will change the world through one step, one act of kindness, one hour of service, one person, one act of humility, one family, one unified church, one person putting Jesus in his rightful place, putting his neighbor in his rightful place, and putting himself in his rightful place. Because when we pursue unity through humility, God is honored and God shows up. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And unity is, as we've been talking about it, at least in my own heart, is, is something that's easy to just check off and go, yeah, okay. But humility, it's a little bit more difficult and I admit to you my own selfishness, God. Uh, we confess even right now, we can be selfish. We can put ourselves first. We think about what we need. We think about our safety. We think about our security, our comfort, whatever it is. We got to place ourselves first and then everything else follows. And, and God, right now, we just ask for your help in putting you first, Jesus first, foundationally, 
And even, even if just for a moment this week, we're reminded that we're to love other people, people and put them first. Not thinking of our own interests, but to think of theirs. Help us do that. I need help doing that. And God, help unity here even, and the people hearing these words, and the way they treat one another, and the way they treat their neighbor, coworker, the way they interact in their community. We ask for you to move in such a mighty way, even in these small one-off ways, so that people might see the love and the hope and the peace of Jesus. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You who saw yourself to be servant rather than put yourself first. Thank you for that example. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.